You have to understand, we thought Bobby was going to a school for the gifted. Bobby is gifted. You should see what he can do. Have you tried not being a mutant? Since the discovery of their existence, mutants have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. Drop the knives and put your hands in the air. I can't. Are they the next link in the evolutionary chain? Or simply a new species of humanity fighting for their share of the world? What do you need, William? Just your authorization for a special operation, Mr. President. We've managed to gather evidence of a mutant training facility in the upstate New York. This facility is a school. Sure it is. Nobody really knows how many even exist. Or how to find them. Except you. I keep feeling something terrible is about to happen. I would never let anything happen to you. It's about to get very cold in here. I need you to read my mind. Sometimes the mind needs to discover things for itself. They say you're the bad guy. Is that what they said? You have that. Most people will never know anything beyond what they see. I have faith in you. The next time you feel like showing off, don't. I used to think you were one of a kind, Wolverine. I was wrong. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. Hello, one and all, and welcome to another episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, broadcasting to you through the power of Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, and StarWarsUnderworld.com. My name is Zach, and yes, I'm back again. Some people have been asking about where I've been, and uh, I've been doing a lot of broadcasting stuff for a local high school football team, but I am excited to be back with you all this evening for this particular episode, because we've got some Star Wars stuff to talk about. Freaking finally, it's about damn time, and I'm excited to be talking about that and excited to be talking about the movie that is next on our slate of discussions. Probably won't be spending as much time talking about this movie as we have for movies in the past, but it should still be a lot of fun. Joining me on the show, it's the man who's been helping hold down the fort in my absence. It's Mr. Ben Hart. 
How's it going, guys? And welcome back, Zach. Glad to have you back with us. It's been way too long and very excited to have you. And yeah, we've got some Star Wars to talk about. We've got some more X-Men for you guys to talk about. And it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. I'm hoping so. Uh, honestly, I really have enjoyed going back through the 2000s X-Men series. Um, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are a fantastic duo that deserve more movies. But uh, I'm glad that we've we've got the opportunity to talk about these. And uh, who knows? Maybe one day we'll get one or both of them to cross over into the Star Wars universe. Who knows? Totally game. That would be really fun to see. Uh, but uh, for now, just... Let's talk about X-Men. And to help us talk about X-Men is the other part of the dynamic duo that has been uh, covering things while I've been away. Let's say hi to Mr. Jake Damon. Hello, everyone. I have had a lot of fun this last week binging uh, X-Men Season 2 from the 90s. So I guess we're going to be talking about that tonight, right? Uh, yeah, that's what we're talking about when we're talking sure. about X2. Yes, that that is that is indeed the X two that we're referring to. Are you saying I spent twenty four straight hours uh, watching a show for nothing? Probably not for nothing. I'm sure that it had its redeeming qualities. Oh, Hold on, I got to go watch a movie real quick. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> as as if uh, we actually had enough time to do something like that. Through so, the power man. and magic of editing, I have watched the entire movie, and we are back to talk about it. Wow, hey, that was amazing. That is. That is magical. I, I am completely in awe of Ben's editing abilities to bring all of this together. I, I'm not even sure how I did that, but I did it. <laughs> You're incredible. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Speaking, speaking of incredible, how incredible was that final trailer for The Rise of Skywalker? It's an instinct. fight if we lead them people keep telling me they know me no one does Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny.
darn incredible, pretty amazing, and I feel like it was everything that I wanted it to be. It didn't have like a huge stinger at the end. Like I loved the the after credits, like post credit scenes on trailers. It didn't really have that, except for like that one line from Leia at the end, which I really loved. But a lot of good stuff, a lot of emotional stuff in there that I wasn't expecting. And it gave me a good feel for the movie. It didn't really give us anything about the story, which is kind of disappointing. But overall, I think the trailer itself was really, really awesome. Jake, what, what were your initial impressions for seeing the Rise of Skywalker trailer? It made my Skywalker rise, if you know what I mean. You had to make oh. it weird. Oh, sorry. This oh. is not our IPC. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'll let Zach recover from that one. Um, No, this was a great trailer. It was a great trailer. And, you know, I never thought that I wanted to see uh, horses riding on a spaceship. But guess what? We got that. Um, And I just think it was really, really cool to hear more dialogue from the Emperor. It was very haunting. And it was very uh, nostalgic. Uh, I don't know. I, I loved... I loved pretty much every scene in this in this trailer. I'm trying to remember some some of the new things that stuck out to me, but all I can think about right now is that poster that came out because that was pretty darn cool. I, I love that poster. It might be my favorite poster out of all of the ones we've gotten so far. And there's there's just something about the angles that people are standing and like Zori Bliss with her with her guns out and yeah, yeah, Poe yeah. shooting. I don't know. There's just something about about the orientation of the characters on this poster that's very appealing to me, and yeah, it was very very cool for or uh, sorry, uh, final trailer, and um, it just made me all the more excited to see it in December. Yeah, it, the, the the poster I thought was really impressive because I, I I like because I haven't a huge fan of the more recent posters like the like sometimes they'll create like a teaser poster like the last Jedi teaser poster that yeah. they released at Celebration was way better than the one they got for like the official theatrical one but this one felt Very like kind of old school it had the white border around it they're obviously like being that this that. is the last of the Skywalker saga they're trying to go have a throwback and I think they did a really good great job with that and I wish they'd released a different time because like they released it like right after the trailer and it totally gets overshadowed like nobody saw it <laughs> because everyone's yeah. infatuated with the trailer but uh Zach you, you you started it off please give us your thoughts I know you did a reaction too of the trailer I did um I, I, did. I haven't had a chance to watch it myself but I'm curious what would you think of the trailer uh, yeah, it's it's about ten to eleven minutes long, so it's it's a little bit of an investment because I chose to watch it twice. I gave my first impressions, and then I like just like initial thoughts, and then was like, you know what, I'm gonna watch it again, damn it, and I did. <laughs> and so uh, I ended up doing first and second impressions on that video, and you can find that on our Facebook page at IPC Podcast. But uh, I think the thing that stood out to me was uh, the locations. You know, you, you've got a lot of different places and they all have a lot of different components to them. One's like a desert planet. One's like a a water world that was rather reminiscent of Camino in certain respects, at least with the waves crashing and the, the, the water features that you had. Uh, the giant floating iceberg looked really cool. Never seen anything like that before. Yeah. Uh, Star Destroyers coming up out of the water. Um I think somebody else made the joke that that J.J. Abrams loves bringing ships up out of the water because he does it with a Star Destroyer here, and then he does it with, like, the Enterprise during the Star Trek franchise. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's definitely something 
that that he's kind of privy to, but uh, all in all, I think the locations really excited me because it seems like there's going to be a lot of variety, forests, water features, deserts, spaceships, um, that final battle assembling the fleet and then seeing the fleets from the previous teaser and then in this trailer, uh, all of that coming together. It genuinely feels like it's going to be an actual star war to finish out this saga. And I think that excites me a lot. Do you, do you think that floating ice thing is in space or is that like floating in the water somewhere? Uh, the TIE fighters were approaching it pretty much the way they would in space. Yeah. So I think... I, th- I think it's either going to be, like, some form of, like, an asteroid, part of an asteroid belt, or uh, it's its shape actually reminded me a little bit of the shape that we had for Cloud City. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it, could be, it could be, like, an atmospheric type of thing where it's just kind of in or just outside of Atmo, like a moon revolving around a planet or something. But yeah, I think I think it is kind of standing. Well, if it is floating, the the idea of Cloud City is interesting because my thought is that this is where they find Lando again, and he he's just kind of at a different mining type facility. It's just in a iceberg somewhere. Maybe there there's also a thing with uh, Kajimi. I think it's the name of the planet. It's an ice planet where I think we see it in the first trailer. It's kind of this mountainous, like snowy planet. And it's where apparently they find uh, Zori Bliss, where uh, Babu Frick is. And so my first impression was like, okay, well, maybe that's maybe that's on Kajimi. But then it doesn't really look like it. It looks like it actually looks like a giant iceberg, like floating in an ocean. Yeah. And there's stars behind it. If you look to the right, there's stars in the background, like starry sky, as if it's space. So... I don't know, it's a really, and you see the reflection, it's like, like, what is that? Like, some people are actually thinking, I didn't get this impression, but some people thought it was like in a cave, like it was a giant ice cave. Um, and I'm not totally ruling that out, because it's really hard to tell, tell at this point. It's really just kind of this thing you look at and go, what is that exactly? Because it's, it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what it is. But stunning imagery. Stunning. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what they were really paying attention to in this trailer was, like you said, there's there's not a whole, whole lot of story that's being advanced, but there's a lot of visuals. It's a lot of very captivating visuals and a lot of quick shots letting you know that these characters are back and these are who they might be paired with. Like we saw uh, Dominic Monaghan's character with Rose Tico right. in a shot. Uh, we saw um, Poe and Ray and Finn with 3PO when 3PO had his moment. We got a quick shot of Leia. We got a quick shot of Lando. Uh, you know, we, we got a lot of these things kind of reminding us, hey, these are the people that are going to be in it. This is your reason to be excited. And while I guess it did kind of work that way, it was also just uh, like a way of letting us know that the story plans to advance its plot with these people involved in this capacity. Right. And you can kind of start seeing like, okay, where everyone's going to be, you know, you know, Ray and Kylo are going to be on the water planet and, or wherever that is, that giant ocean that they, they're seen fighting in and Finn's going to be there. And then there's, you know, like jungle planet where the resistance base is and where Ray is, kind of fighting and and training and then there's stuff inside you know there's there's pasana which is weird and then there's the whole 
you know, imperial fleet that apparently rises up at you mentioned it you it rises up out of water. And a lot of people are saying that. And I thought that at first, but to me, what that Star Destroyer is coming out of doesn't look like water. I think it looks more like like something more solid, like maybe ice. Yeah, it definitely had an ice look to me too. I'm thinking maybe it's either like some it's like buried in the ground or like maybe it's on that ice planet. Like, well, if it if it is ice, then well, it definitely used to be water at one point. Like there, I was about to say ice is water. Or <laughs> did we not go to sixth grade science class? It's two different things. It's two different things. All right. Okay. Never mind. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Either it's, way, I think I think the idea of having ships already at your disposal is a fascinating concept because a lot of times the ships get made in the shipyards and it takes a while for them to, you know, come together, but to have them basically being pulled out of mothballs and being utilized again, if you will, like that's an interesting thought that helps you assemble not only the first order fleet but potentially the remnants of the imperial fleet and to put all of those resources together and the way palpatine said like you're coming together will be your undoing it's almost reminiscent of what he did in return of the jedi where he allowed them to come to him so that he could potentially wipe them off the face of the galaxy yeah, yeah and you and you know if palpatine has been lying in wait all this time he has a plan he has something up his sleeves, quite literally, um, that he's going to do. What fascinates me is, like, just like Return of the Jedi, which was, you know, arguably one of the largest space battles ever, we're looking at even a bigger space battle here because we've got all of these Star Destroyers that are just being literally pulled out of ice or water or whatever you're going to call it. And now, we, and then we have this one shot of all of these rebel ships being led by the Millennium Falcon. You got the ghost in there. You've got Nebulon B frigates. You got hammerheads, like every ship you can possibly think of, like every ship seemingly from the entire saga, in this ready to take on these star destroyers. Is you know what they need? They need a couple of yellow Naboo starfighters. Yes, absolutely. How great would that be, dude? They're... Because that that one shot we see is just like big cruisers, just like, you know, freighters and cruisers and stuff like that. We haven't seen, seen even mm-hmm. seen the fighters. Right, because we could have A-wings, B-wings, U-wings, X-wings, Y-wings. Like, we could have the whole freaking alphabet mixed in there. Speaking of uh, the Phantom Menace, there's a B-1 battle droid in there. There I've is. I've been waiting yes, for that. Yes, sir. I've been waiting for I that. I saw that. I saw that. I love it that we're getting that. I'd like, even if it's just a background thing, I'm like, yes, just, just that little acknowledgement. I'd love it. Ugh. Great. It, it's it's a it's a great way to remind us of where we've come from and and where we are. I always thought that it would be cool to, you know, pull ships from the the separatist alliance and and use them in your new alliance because you've got those those. Uh, donut-shaped droid control ships that served as battleships in The Phantom Menace. And if you really need allies and if you really need a fleet, why not? Like, there, I don't, I, I think the, the, the way it worked in, in, the, in the Separatist Alliance, and maybe Dan Grievous can correct me on this after the fact, but, you know, the, the Trade Federation sided with the Separatist Alliance because it seemed more profitable for them. 
And if there's a way for this, uh, for the Alliance to be a more profitable venture than what the First Order offers, you can strike a deal with groups like them and the Commerce Guilds and even Black Sun if it means that they stand a better chance at surviving under this leadership than under a different one. That whole enemy of my enemy is my friend concept. And so if you can strike up negotiations like that in addition to building a resistance cell, then, yeah, you've got a pretty formidable force on your hands. Yeah, and and if you think about it, going back to, like, the rebellion in the original trilogy was, like, this cobbled-together fleet of different types of ships and whatever. And it was based on just all these different – this alliance of different factions kind of coming together and creating this fleet. Well, you go back to the Clone Wars, and you've got – the Separatist Alliance, which is also a cobbled together, different types of ships kind of put together, and it's all based on, you know, it's the same concept. The Separatists and the Rebellion were basically the same in regards to what part they played in the galaxy, um, except, you know, the Rebellion was, you know, mostly on the morally good side, whereas the Separatists, you couldn't really tell sometimes. But what I find interesting is, like, like, my initial theory about when we first saw those Star Destroyers in the atmosphere, that uh, the the Imperial Star Destroyers, I'm like, well, what if the Resistance needed ships and they go and they find all these mothball um, Star Destroyers that they would use? They might use these against the First Order. I think it's clear now that that is the Emperor's fleet, and this is literally the entire galaxy like coming together. And maybe maybe Lando's gone off and assembled this giant fleet and he's shown up like at the last second to go okay yeah here's your here's your fleet here's everyone literally i've got everyone here on my side to take out the empire once and for all do you think the emperor is gonna die for good i think he has to yeah i think it's funny because i've listened to some podcasts and kind of done some research and apparently like in the original like scripts or ideas or whatever um, the Emperor wasn't even supposed to show up until Episode Nine, in what George Lucas originally intended, as like when he started seeing it as a nine-film saga. Oh wow! Like Return of the Jedi was like a condensed version of Episode Seven, Eight, Nine, or what he was trying to do with that. Wow! So it's kind of ironic that now we're coming back around, and oh, by the way, the Emperor's not dead, and he's come back, and they have to defeat him for the final time, and uh, yeah, so it felt. Pretty definitive. Throwing him down that shaft, his body exploded seemingly. He was dead. Like, how can they do it now that it's even more definitive? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm just looking at the shot. I'm seeing, you know the clone, the the medical frigates from the Clone Wars? Yeah, yeah. Yes. There's one of those in the t- at the top, just above the Falcon, there's one of those. Wow. Um, Hammerhead Corvette. Hammerhead Corvette. There's somebody said they saw something separatist in here. So we were just talking about that. I don't I haven't seen it yet, but somebody said that. There's uh Ketsu, Ketsu, the bounty hunter from Rebels, her ship's in there, like right next to the ghost. Um of course the ghost is in there. Um there's a ship, there's a U Wing at the bottom. What else? There's some there a couple of those ships look like the, the Republic ships that you see at the beginning of Phantom Menace. There's a lot of stuff. This thing is dense. And you can imagine when we actually see the battle, it's going to be insane. Well, yeah, because you're going to have to have, like, a camera panning shot that's giving you, like, even just a couple of frames of, like, the the fan service, if you will. But 
you know, this is the kind of fan service I'm really okay with because it, in the context of the story, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm just freaking the heck out that we have a shot. We have one live action shot of the Millennium Falcon next to the Ghost. That's just blowing my mind. So and then cool. having all these other ships. There's a there's a, a resistance bomber behind them. There's so many others. There's another ship to the left of the Falcon that looks really familiar. I just can't place it. But uh, so much, so dense, so much stuff. We could sit here all night, but we don't have all night because we've been taking all night trying <laughs> no. to get this show happen. No, we don't. We don't have all night. But <laughs> suffice to say that we are all very excited and going to be celebrating this movie's premiere in our own way. Uh, ben, you and I are making preparations for our visit to California. Yep. And Jake, I know that you're trying to get together with like family and friends to be able to see it out east as well. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be a pretty special night when this movie finally drops because, like they've been alluding to, this isn't just the end of this trilogy, it's the end of the Skywalker saga. So there's a lot to tie up and a lot to experience. But uh, from what I've heard, reports are saying that this runtime is actually going to be the longest runtime of any Star Wars film by just a few minutes, but still... It's it's going to be pretty lengthy and pretty in-depth, and I think we're going to need every single second, which is just very, very exciting to say. Indeed, indeed. I'm not sure how – I'm not even sure the film's, like, edited fully yet. They're saying, like, 235, I think, is the, the runtime that's kind of been bandied about. But uh, even if it's, like, <laughs> a little less than that, like, that's still very long. <laughs> It's still two and a half yeah. hours for a Star Wars movie. That's long, and I'm like, okay, if you need it, do it, bring it. I'm I'm here for it. I'll I'll sit in the theater as long as you can, as long as you want me to, to experience this. Very true. Very, very true. Right. Well, we have a movie to talk about tonight, guys. Yes, we, we do. Have X two X Men United, the second one, whatever it's called, from two thousand three. That's yeah. That's a very accurate the, description. The second, the second X Men movie. We're just gonna throw that out there, um, for those who may be confused. Some say X Two, some say X Men United, some try and put them together. Some are just like, oh yeah, that movie exists. <laughs> um, I have now full disclosure here. I've seen all three of these movies because timing and the way we had to record these, I had to go ahead and watch, um, uh, the third one, which I'm blanking on the name. But, last stand, uh, I believe. Last stand, yeah, yeah. Um, it's that forgettable. I'm sorry. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start throwing shit Uh-oh. at you just yet. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna Uh-oh. wait. I'm gonna wait. <laughs> We're gonna. I'm gonna try to focus on X2 here because I liked this movie. I really like this movie. It's a lot longer. Speaking of runtimes, a lot longer than the first one. The first one is pretty brisk if you think about it. And I looked at the original time. I'm like, wow, that's a pretty short for like a superhero film. But this one makes up for it. Pretty long movie. But uh, I think it gets the job done. Um, who wants to go first with initial impressions? Go for it, Zach. Uh, sure. I, I actually just went back and watched it uh, just a couple of hours ago. And it reaffirmed to me that this is probably um, my, my favorite of the X-Men trilogy, like this 2000s X-Men trilogy. Possibly one of my favorite X-Men movies in general. Like, I put it up there with uh with like Logan and Apocalypse like these that this this movie was actually really really well done very well written very well acted 
uh, great action sequences, a great finale, uh, very emotional, very romantic, very well made. And uh, I I don't really have a whole lot more to, to like give as far as initial impressions go. It's a solid film. It covers everything that I would want from an action movie without going too over the top, which you can't really do because the movie came out in 2003. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just a solid film. And they made the most with what they had, and it turned out to be a really good movie and a really good adventure. Um, I dare say it's one of the better comic book movies that I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Jake, what do you think? Well, I I could just echo everything that Zach said. I mean, he has a great point with all all of that, and I don't think I disagree with any of it. I this is the first time I've seen X two in its entirety. I've seen almost all of it. I would say maybe eighty to eighty five percent of the movie on different occasions through different. Uh, clips and and things like that one time I almost got all the way through it intending to sit down and watch it all the way through didn't get to do it but from start to finish this is the first time that I've seen it Uh, and it was because I've seen the first one so many times I was able to pretty easily compare the two and this one just feels superior in a lot of ways and I I love the character work in here. I love the 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 continuing story I should say between Eric and Xavier and the state of mutants in the world. And there's a really interesting story and plot to this movie that really kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Yeah, I think one of the things that sets this movie apart from the others is that it hits the ground running. You know the the assassination attempt on the president is very different from uh, from how you opened with the first X Men movie, and by doing that, you know you're kind of setting the tone for you know the intensity and what kind of things to expect for the rest of the film. This one, obviously, in in true sequel fashion, I think it improves on the first one. It continues it, and it it does something different. It's not just about like okay, let's do the first one again which is what a lot of sequels do it's about okay let's let's change things up let's kind of take off it is interesting that they kind of at the end of the first one they're like okay well what happens if if they come to your school and they try to take your kids and they kind of immediately go to that kind of scenario of like okay what if the government tries to take this and what kind of exploring that danger the the looming danger of discovering the school and discovering these kids and in the government taking them as a threat um, which I think it was a good storyline. Obviously, it is really good because it makes for an interesting kind of follow-up to the first one, kind of establishing what the status quo is and then just tearing it all down in this one, which is, I think, is any good story. Add, if you want to add drama, you kind of destroy everything and take take it all down and start over. And, uh, you know, I think it's just great. And as you said, like, the opening scene is magnificent. I agree with other people that have said that the whole thing with Nightcrawler attacking the president is an amazing, probably one of the best like comic book movie scenes ever. And you have Magneto's escape from prison, from his plastic prison, and uh, just so many, so many like, just incredible, like from a visual effects standpoint, from a just pacing standpoint, everything just firing on all cylinders. 
and and you have a you know, some great villains, great heroes, taking the villains from the last movie and making them more heroic, even though you know they're the villains, you still understand that yeah they they've got some tricks up their sleeve. They're still the villains, but they've got to work with them. And the uneasy alliance is always something interesting. So uh, yeah. Well, it gives you a chance to root for the villains, which is fun sometimes. One thing I love about these movies is the the fact that like all these people have all these peoples have powers, all these people have powers, I should say, and with powers come things that are their weaknesses and things that will immobilize them, and like you can you can be really creative with that, and how Magneto and or Eric, I'll, I'll call him Eric how he is immobilized and pretty much helpless. He's just a human being at that point is when he's put in this plastic prison. And it's such an right. interesting setting because he, he, there's nothing he can do. He's easily taken down. Uh, and it's, it's very, very interesting. And how he, he wears the helmet to immobilize Xavier and it, the the play there is just very interesting, but I love anything in the plastic prison. It, it's just an interesting thing for the character. And it's, it's interesting how he ends up escaping, uh, which, which we can talk about. Um, but, Oh, absolutely. That's probably like one of my favorite scenes. I would make it the quote of the night, except yeah, you kind of have no, to watch exactly. it. I love it when a movie takes its time with setting something up and like it makes you pay attention because like you have the whole. Well, only- yeah, he. It's not like he. It's not like he escaped like within the first ten minutes of the movie right, or something. And it takes it takes its time with like you see Mystique going into the bar and befriending the guy. And you're like, okay, what's going on here? It kind of makes you think, and then she ends up, you know, knocking him out, literally putting a needle in his butt, <laughs> which I completely miss. <laughs> And then you go along and you're like, okay, well, something's going to happen. But I don't know how. And then you just see Magneto pick him up and he goes, yeah, too much iron in your blood. I'm like, oh, my God, he's actually going to do that. And he, you know, pulls the iron out of his body because it was undetectable. But now it is. And that's all he needed was that little oh. balls of iron. And he destroys the entire place with that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he only made like three balls out of it. <laughs> it makes a disc for himself to float on which is the thing from the comics i I loved that how he has that little platform that he rides around on that that's the thing from the comics yeah but like i mentioned to you guys before the show there's a lot of like metal related body horror things that just make you cringe and like oh what a terrible way to die in this movie like like the iron being pulled from his blood uh, in the plastic prison and also that lady with the the who needs her fingernails the, cut the fingernail lady yeah she gets she needs a manicure well uh logan <laughs> yeah exactly logan just uh sticks that needle of uh, adamantium into her and and it just starts oozing out of her eyes and she just sinks to just, the bottom i'm sorry but her whole character just makes my skin crawl yeah because from from wolverine standpoint you can kind of like you can get like okay at knives coming out of your hands that's painful but it's not like gross in a way hers is like oh let's take your fingernails and let's extend them out like three feet oh and you can imagine like just the sound effects and the way they do it it's just like oh it's just grates on you and and then her whole thing with just like her cracking her knuckles and doing all this kind of stuff, like you know something's up with her from the moment she shows up on screen. Just so creepy. 
Yeah, I, I feel like I could deal with claws coming out of my hands, but if I had little metal fingernails that extended from the tips of my fingers, I don't know if I'd be able to live with that. Yeah, cut your fingernails, people. Don't don't let them get that long. Yeah. Uh, I've seen people with fingernails that are pretty long, and it's just like, oh, how do you how do you, how do you survive? Now, I'm not talking about like our friend Nicolette. Like, <laughs> like oh, those are close. They're pretty close, but not quite there. Like, I'm talking like the the like what you see on Family Guy, where Peter's got like the really long fake nails that he's painting. Oh my gosh! When he's yeah. Working at customer service or whatever. Yeah, it's like that. Only I've seen it in reality, and it's just like, oh no, thank you. Yeah, yeah. But but oh, again, see, I'm I'm watching the scene back, and like she she like punches him like really fast, and you're just like, oh god, that's gotta be painful. Like she's like continually just like poking him in the back with the t- nails, like just so. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's an area where this movie actually really shines is. Even though it was made in, you know, 01, 02, 03, like filmed around that time and the movie came out in 03, uh, they really know how to create some gripping visual elements without going over the top with it. You know, I think one of the other areas that they did a really great job with was Halle Berry's character Storm. Mm. Yep. Creating, like, the tornadoes in order to get away from the fighter jets. And then using those storm abilities in the final fight sequence, um, you know, there, there there were a lot of times when you had like thunder and lightning and stuff going on, and it adds like a little bit more depth to the situation because you've got a lightning bolt flashing just outside or what have you. Yeah, and and that's just that's a, that's a, that's a classic sound effect and some classic visuals that are never going to get old. They're never going to get out of style. And then when you combine that with you know, adamantium out the eyes and iron in the blood and, you know, some of the other things that they were able to do, like the veins popping whenever Rogue is taking somebody's essence. It's little things, but when you combine that with a really strong acting performance from pretty much the entire cast, Mm -hmm. it makes for a really good movie. Yeah. 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 And you mentioning the plane sequence, I love it when Rogue gets sucked out and then Nightcrawler goes after her. Yeah, like I was totally on the edge of my mm-hmm. seat with that one. Like, like oh, oh she just freaking flew out of the plane. Like, how are they going to fix that? Like, she's yeah. dead. No, 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 I love that character. And one thing I don't want to forget to mention at all, I really forgot how good of a villain Striker is. I okay, yeah. I thought okay. I thought he was. He didn't overdo it, but he he's just a true enemy of mutants in general, which means that he's not like he's not going to take sides in this battle between the mutants, between Eric and his people and and Xavier and his people. He's just against them all, which means that they've got to work together against him initially. And that makes for an interesting story. So I really like Stryker on multiple fronts. Because not only is he a antagonist against mutant kind, whereas in the first movie, you're right, we had like the superior mutants versus the get along with everybody mutants. And you're like, okay, that's kind of an interesting story, but it's mutant versus mutant. Now it's man versus mutant, right. if you will. And not only do you have that component with Stryker in there, but Stryker also had a son that went to Xavier's school. So it's personal. Yeah. 
And then not only that, but he also was basically Logan's creator. Right. He he was he was the one that that founded the Wolverine project that made Logan who he is. And that was a big storyline in the previous movie and a big part of what was going on in this movie is Logan still doesn't know where the heck he comes from and he's trying to get answers. And in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of this, you know, homeland security home invasion at the mansion, he starts having little glimpses of what his past looked like. And then when you go to the base, it starts unfurling even more, you know. So not only do you have a villain that is just anti-mutant, who works for the military, who had a child that went to Xavier's school, but he also created the Wolverine Project. Stryker is probably one of the most integrated villains in all of X-Men because of all the different facets that he has and the different parts of the franchise that he's included in yeah he he we also get a young version of him in the x-men prequel series too so that's spoilers darling spoilers whoops <laughs> no big deal i've heard a lot of spoilers oh i didn't hear that one though so i mean he's a, he's a pretty big part of him um so what i find interesting is they do a lot of like I mean, there is kind of a lot of retconning here in regards to, like, not retconning, but, like, reverse engineering of the plot in regards to, like, you know, him being the creator of Wolverine. Like, that, that's a pretty big deal, and he wasn't talked about pr- prior to this. Um, and just all of this and with, the, you know, the what's going on between the mutants and, and people and all this kind of stuff and him kind of manipulating that and, and manipulating certain mutants to do certain things and all this kind of stuff, and creating a really, you know, a great villain that is, you know, he is, and he's, and he has good motivations, not good motivations, but motivations that are understandable in a way, because you, you get that he's, his, his son was kind of messed up, and, you know, he tried to get help from, from Xavier, and it wasn't to his liking, and some good backstory there with, between those two characters, and what's funny is, I almost feel sorry for the for Jason. Like they ran off and left him in the end. Yeah. <laughs> and I know he was kind of being evil, but he was also being manipulated. So like, I kind of feel sorry for that guy. Like he could have been helped. Yeah. He blew up in the whole thing. I I've got to mention what my absolute favorite scene in this movie is. And Oh yeah. It's when they're on the jet and Eric asks Iceman, what's his name? Bobby's brother, John, uh, what his name is. And he goes, my name's John. And then he goes, what's your real name? And he says, Pyro. And he explains how he can manipulate fire, um, but he can't create it. And Eric goes, you're a god among insects. Don't let anyone tell you any different. I, I love that. And it's a defining moment for the character if you know where he goes after that because, yeah, it's, it's, I love that scene. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think Ian McKellen kind of got the better part of the script because yeah. almost any time that he's talking, you kind of have to just sit down and listen. Yeah. Because, you know, that scene in the jet – the 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 scene in the prison when he confronts his jailer and he's like too much iron in your blood 
And, you know, there's another sequence kind of towards the end when uh, he's changing the situation in Cerebro 2.0 to instead of targeting mutants, he's just targeting humanity. Yep. Like his his actions and his motives and and just the way that he carries himself. It's just it's how you picture magneto in the comics that that arrogance if you will but it's not the kind of arrogance that you get from somebody like joffrey from game of thrones right it's not it's not it's not a bratty arrogance it's more like an affluent arrogance where it's like this is how things are supposed to be yes and i'm just making the world the way it's intended or the the way that it's meant to be or something like that yeah, and it, it's and it, it's it's scary. And it's funny how last week it, it, I was talking about how it, it it really took me a minute when it, in his first scene to kind of like not see Gandalf or not hear Gandalf in his voice. Yeah, this is true. But in this movie, it's like it's you've totally bought into it. Like you've totally like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that after that first scene is pre and even in X one, it's pretty apparent. Like he owns this role. But especially in this movie, he is just all in. You can't see anyone else in him. He is Magneto. He embodies that. He just the way he walks and talks and his demeanor, and he just totally buys into it. He sells it so he sells the evil. He sells this, and it's not even this like pure evil. As we talked about before, how Magneto isn't someone who is like, yeah, he's he's killing people. Like, that guard really didn't deserve to die. Like, he, he murdered several guards trying to escape. Like, they, those guys really didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. Like, Magneto's misguided, but he ultimately has good goals. In this movie, he's... Actually, I'm going to take that back. He doesn't have good goals. He <laughs> wants to wipe out humanity. He doesn't have any good goals. This guy is kind of messed up. But still, you understand where he's coming from. It's all about where he's been, what he's been through his persecution as a mutant and a Jewish person, and then coming up to this point where he's like, he's had it. And he's like, okay. And I love that scene at the end where he's like, he gets in there, and you're like, oh, he's going to set it off. No, no, he's not. He's going to do something else with that, and that's going to cause some major problems, and now all of humanity has to be saved. Yeah. Uh, Did you guys happen to catch the... um social commentary that happened in the movie i may have perhaps because it really it really stood out to me in this one a heck of a lot more than it did in uh in other times when the gang has to escape the mansion and they end up at at uh bobby's house and yeah. he like yeah he, like reveal, he reveals to them that he's a mutant and his, and his parents are like have you ever tried not being a mutant <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It's like instead of saying a mutant, you should change it to gay. gay you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I just went to a YouTube clip and I saw that scene. And the the, the name of the YouTube clip is Bobby Comes Out. <laughs> yeah. It's basically and what it there's, is. There, and there's a comment from someone uh says, since it was recently revealed in the comics that Iceman is gay, the title has a whole new meaning. Oh, wow. Yep. Interesting, so. but I love I love that. Have you just tried not being? And I-, I love that. Like we we would think of it as like, oh, this would be 
fantastic. You got superpowers. Who, what parent wouldn't be proud of their son for having superpowers? But it might not be that way. It might be more like this. People will be freaked out that you can turn a hot cup of tea into ice. Yeah. And, well, and and, I and think... it's also just this metaphor for anybody that you know people are the way they are, and if they come out a certain way that's not considered normal, people are freaked out. Right. Well, yeah, and I think they're also trying to like equate homosexuality to uh to to the the natural order of things, the way the mutations oh. are. It's like this mutation is a part of who I am. My sexual orientation is a part of who I am kind of thing. Like they're trying to create those parallels in there. And while I know they were putting kind of a comedic twist on there, there's also something to be said about trying to um, to make that kind of commentary in 2003. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like kinda, that was. I, I, yeah, it that feels was, like pretty. It ballsy. feels like that would have been something that they would have done in 2019. Yeah. Instead, they're they're doing it in 2003. What I feel like was just starting to turn the corner on like okay, movies, TV shows. Um, because I remember in the 90s watching, well, not in the 90s, but watching it kind of later on, but in Seinfeld, where it's like, he's gay. Now there's anything wrong with that. Right, right. <laughs> right. It was that old thing. And that was in the 90s, and now we come up to 2003, and they're like not doing it at the same time. If you understand the context, you understand, okay, they, that's exactly what they're doing, and especially understanding the you know the context of the comics and what the X-Men stood for when they were first written. Exactly. Yep, it's very true. It's very, very true. Well, we've had we've had a lot of really great talk so far, and I know that it's rather brief, but we're going to take our commercial break now while we've got a break in the action. We'll come back with favorite characters, favorite moments, and then final thoughts and planet scores when the IPC podcast wraps up. This is IPC. Greetings, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey, y'all, this is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? Bye-bye.
And we're back from the break. Time to wrap up this discussion of X2, starting with favorite characters. We've got a lot more characters, a lot more exposition in those characters, some new additions like Nightcrawler and Iceman. So, guys, who was your favorite character from this movie? Jake, you got one? Yeah, I really, really liked Stryker a lot. He was very compelling to me. He was just a a good threat, and I loved watching him when he was on screen. I think the actor who who played him, his name escapes me at the moment, but he just did such a fantastic job making him menacing and making him uh, feel like he's an actual threat to these people with, with superpowers. And... Uh, out of all of the new characters in this movie, he really stands out to me and is the one that I think about the most after watching it. Uh, Brian Cox, to answer your Brian question. Brian Cox, right. thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's got to be Nightcrawler. Mm. Nightcrawler was... I, I, I just love the, the his whole journey through this movie because you're introduced to him trying to kill the president, which is not a good thing. And he's you, you expect him to be evil, and he's this blue-looking devil dude who's got a spike tail, and you like expect him to be completely evil. And yet, later on in the movie, you realize he was being basically brainwashed, and he's like the sweetest dude ever. Like, he's just a, such, such a nice guy. And, you know, and I love his whole thing, and his power set is really cool. And his whole thing about, you know... I can go through walls, but I have to see where I'm going. He's he doesn't have the confidence to just jump through something and not and not know where he's going. And you know, you have storms kind of pep talk in the end. And I believe in you. I believe you can do this. And he does it. I love that whole journey that he goes on, and he's he's really great. And just the fact that he's not with the school, he's just kind of this random X Men that's kind of running around and doing his own thing and hanging out in churches and getting blasted out of. <laughs> Thanks by Storm, poor guy. Um, really, just I, I love. I would love to see more of him. I, I think he shows up in other movies played by different actors. I think. Uh, yeah, I think his his arc is really well done in this movie because he starts out as a threat and finishes as a hero. Yeah, which is which is really cool. It's it's really really hard to to do all of that in one movie, and yet they're able to do that for Nightcrawler. That was that was really well done as far as character development goes. To develop him as much as they did in as short a time as they had available, that's just that's phenomenal, honestly. Yeah. Um, for me, it actually probably is Storm. Uh, as much as I love Magneto, as much as I love Logan, as much as I love Professor Xavier, those are all kind of you know the standard answers. But if you really think about it, Storm was kind of the glue that was holding everything together. She was part of the the strike force that went and found Kurt at the beginning of the movie. She was the pilot that helped them with their escape. She was part of the team that helped go to the base and helped save the day out there. She's the one who kind of sparked uh, you know confidence in Nightcrawler, like you said. Uh, she was a friend to Jean. She was a, a confidant. For Kurt, she was a reliable, dependable help for the professor, and she was a teacher on top of all of those things. So uh, I I really liked Halle Berry's performance in this one. She did a really good job. Yep. Yeah, she she's 
I liked her a lot more in this one than I did the last one. I felt like she wasn't given a whole lot of good stuff in the first movie, and also her performance just came off weird because I think all of her lines were like dubbed over for some reason, whereas there were several scenes where like you could tell it was actually her talking, which was which was great. You know what happens to a toad in a lightning storm? <laughs> Classic line. <laughs> very, very nicely done. Uh, on to favorite scenes, then. Any particular one come to mind, fellas? I already said mine. Yeah. It was the the breakout of the prison? No, well, that's a very close second, but mine's the one between Eric and John slash Pyro on the plane. Ah, uh, their conversation, yeah. Fair enough. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm being redundant here, but I gotta go back to the first, very first scene with Nightcrawler that white house the scene. attack on the white yes. house yeah. yeah yeah it sets the tone it, it really, really it really sets the tone and, and gives you an idea of what to expect for the rest of the movie which is a lot more of the same it's also i think it presents a commentary on this universe and what they have to deal with because ultimately the, the ultimate goal here is like okay to to say that mutants deserve rights just like anyone else they don't deserve to be discriminated against or whatever they deserve to live free and be normal people and treated like everyone else. But you can understand from a certain point of view that people in this universe would go, okay, now we have people that we don't, we have to deal with normal human beings doing bad things. But what do we deal with? How do we deal with people that literally have superpowers? They can walk through walls, they can teleport. How do we guard against that? How do you guard against someone literally walking into the White House and trying to kill the president? And they can't stop him. They literally cannot stop him. It was only for that one guy. Right. Being able to shoot him and I guess making him snap out of his whole uh, thing, the president would have been dead. And I understand from a certain point of view that that would be really bad. And ultimately it's like, well, there's good mutants and there's bad mutants and whatever. But like a someone, if I was in that universe, would be like, um, let's talk about these mutants because they're kind of out of control and it's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, that's very true. It's It's interesting. Going... Off of that, I just found a little piece of trivia on the IMDb X2 page. Uh, the replica of the president's desk in the Oval Office was so detailed that it took them two months to build it. Wow. 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 Just just that. So, yeah, you don't want to mess that up. Because if you do, it'll take another two months to get you something back. <laughs> um, my, my favorite scene is is probably the breakout scene from the prison uh like I, I i loved the setting and then i loved the the means of being able to get out and the fact that he knew that it was mystique who gave him all that extra iron he's like never trust a beautiful woman especially when she's that interested in you <laughs> I'm like dude you've kind of played yourself however I think I would be a little remiss if we did not take a minute to talk about Gene's sacrifice at the yes, end of the movie. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because that's kind of a big deal. You know, Scott wanted to go out and save her, and she's out there trying to save everybody else. And then, you know, her her telekinetic powers are like, and, her, and her telepathic powers really come into play here as she's using one hand to lift the jet, one hand to deflect the oncoming water, and then also having a telepathic connection with Charles to communicate and say her goodbyes. Like, 
it's a giant culmination of things and you recognize that it's a big sacrifice and it's a heroic move and you know you've got the love interests that are now feeling heartbroken over all of this you know there's a lot going on in just a couple of minutes and yet it's still orchestrated so well that it tugs at the heartstrings like a lot yeah i to be honest i wasn't as affected emotionally as i thought i would because I honestly, I knew about the whole Dark Phoenix thing. Like, I, I know kind of the, myth, the mythology surrounding that, and I, I knew she wasn't actually going to die. <laughs> um, you have no heart, Ben. I know. <laughs> Mr. I heart know. has and, no heart. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not saying, like, it wasn't emotional, because it, it is. It's really an emotional scene, but even before I saw Last Stand, I knew where this is kind of going. Yeah. I know she comes back in some form. And now seeing that, I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it could even be more emotional. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it could be considered more emotional considering what happens in Last Stand because they get her back, but they kind of don't. So, you know, it, it is kind of an emotional, like this is Gene, losing Gene pretty much. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great scene, and it's, it shows her power just in this movie, and like how, like she's able to block out Nightcrawler, she's able to communicate with Professor X, she's able to stop Scott, and also lift the plane and hold the water back at the exact same time. Right. You don't realize how powerful Jean Grey is until this scene. Yep. Well, I don't think Jean Grey even realizes how powerful Jean Grey is until this scene. Right. Like, it's it's kind of like her coming-of-age story has been progressing throughout this whole film, and this is where it finally comes to a head. Oh my goodness, yeah. And I'm, I'm remembering yeah. more and more about X-Men 3, and her sacrifice in this makes certain things that happen in that movie seem less impactful as well. But we'll get to that. We will get to that. <laughs> you guys might. I don't know where I'm going to be next week. <laughs> hey, I think you're dodging a bullet with that one. <laughs> Eh, possibly possibly <laughs> honestly x2 was the one that i really wanted to get on so i'm glad that i was here for this thank you guys for having me on <laughs> Absolutely. um we're gonna we're gonna turn this over really quick for our uh, quote of the night and come right back with our planet scores don't go anywhere thank you can you hear what they're saying I could take a closer look. His name is Colonel William Stryker, and he invaded your mansion for one purpose. He wanted Cerebro. Or enough of it to build one of his own. But that doesn't make any sense. Stryker would need the professor to operate it. Which I think is the only reason my old friend is still alive. Oh, my God. Now, what are you all so afraid of? While Cerebro is working, Charles's mind is connected to every living person on the planet. If he were forced to concentrate hard enough on a particular group, let's say mutants, for example, he could kill us all. Wait a minute. How would Stryker even know where to find Cerebro in the first place? Because I told him. I helped Charles build it, remember? Mr. Stryker has... Powerful methods of persuasion, even against a mutant as strong as Charles. So who's the striker anyway? He's a military scientist, 
He spent his whole life trying to solve a mutant problem. If you want a more intimate perspective, why don't you ask Wolverine? You don't remember, do you? William Stryker, the only other man I know who can manipulate adamantium. Metal on your bones. It carries his signature. But the professor... The professor trusted you were smart enough to discover this on your own. He gives you more credit than I do. Why do you need us? Mystique has discovered plans of a base that Stryker's been operating out of for decades. We know that's where he's building the second Cerebro, but we don't know where this base is. And I believe one of you might. The professor already tried. Once again, you think it's all about you. Hello. All right, it's time for how we're going to rate this movie out of 10. Keeping in mind that this movie came out in 2003, and we've probably seen about two dozen other superhero movies, but uh, this one still stands pretty tall and stands pretty well on its own two feet, even though it's, uh, geez, like 17 years old or something like that. 16 wow. years something old. Like that. Yeah. It's 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 getting up there, but it's still kind of holding its own. So uh, let's see how it fares. Ben, what do you give this as far as planet scores go out of 10? Oh, I'm going to give this one a 9 out of 10. Woo! Because, because, okay, I'm going to take one giant point off because, and this is something I I'll, maybe I'll address next week, but I do not like how these movies are treating Rogue. I think she's been a vastly underused character, yeah. and I think it was one of the things that stuck out to me after seeing this movie. I'm like, Rogue was just stuck on the ship the entire time. Like, why wasn't she doing something? And I know her power set maybe isn't quite set up to like do a lot of fighting and stuff like that, but like, she could have been a little more useful. I feel like she's been in the background for too long. And she's a really interesting character, and she was the first character we were ever introduced to in this franchise. So I'm like, why aren't you doing more with this character? And she really didn't have much to do in this movie. But on top of that, there's so many other good stuff, so much other good characters, and just just an amazing movie all around that really, as I said, built on the first one so much and um, expanded the universe so much. Mm-hmm. That's fair. It's very fair. Jake, how about you? Uh, final thoughts are that this was a great, great movie, you know, and there were it's it's a good thing i think when you can have three different people have all three different favorite characters and three different favorite scenes you know it means there's a lot to a lot a lot of good there um i know i gave x-men a nine out of ten on our review I i may have to recant that because i feel like this is a more appropriate nine out of ten if we're thinking on the on the scale that I'm trying to work with here, so I I give this a nine out of ten, and I would I would take the first X Men back to an eight in comparison. Not taking anything away from that movie, it's still great. Eight is nothing to shake a stick at, but this I think is a is even better than that, and deserves to be a little bit higher than X Men. So yeah, I give this one a nine out of ten. Alrighty, very fair. Um, hmm. I had a planet score in mind, and now you're making me reconsider. (laughs) 
You know what? I think I'll just follow suit and give it a nine as well. There's there's just more about this movie to like than there is to dislike. Even as old as it is, like I said, I put it up there as far as some of the better X-Men movies. Uh, when you're talking about movies like Logan and Deadpool, and I think my favorite of the new trilogy would be uh, Apocalypse. Um, but there's just there's a lot of really, really good things in this movie. And uh, to be honest, if you didn't watch Last Stand, then this is actually a really good movie to kind of like finish with. You You could, in theory, stop right here. And go to the new trilogy and things would still make sense. And so it, it stands on its own really well. It has some great acting, great writing, great action, great storytelling. You know, there, there's just a lot about this that is so, so good. That yeah, there's elements like Rogue in there. And yeah, there's some cheese and some cliches. And that whole coming out scene might have been a little overdone and a little overacted. But I blame the parents for that. The, the <laughs> parents' characters were, were the worst. Um, but overall, just a very fun movie to watch with a lot of really great components and characters. And it's hard to knock on it. It really is. So, yeah, I'll give it a nine as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we're all on the same page here. Yeah, we are for once. <laughs> A quick thank you to our patrons who helped make this podcast possible, including Joey, Jake, Rachel, Dan, Parker, and Carrie. You all help keep the lights on and help keep us going, and we cannot thank you enough. If you're interested in becoming a patron, then just go find us on ipcpodcast.podbean.com. There is a uh, support page or a, or a patron link or something like that that you can find there in addition to our entire library of episodes they can all be found there you can find episodes on starwarsunderworld.com as well in addition to apple podcasts and google play so be sure to go find all of those places and find us on social media as well facebook twitter instagram simply searching ipc podcast yeah 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 Whew. It's been a while since I've done that, reader. <laughs> I was kind of jumping all over the page. They're like, oh, okay, we got that. You still did it better than I would. We still got all of that other stuff in there to talk about, but we'll talk about it on the flip side of our food discussion for the evening. It's going to be a little deviant from what we traditionally talk about, but it's going to be a cool story that I want to share with you guys. So, uh, ladies and gents, get out your hashtags. Put them in the chat. Put them on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, anything else that carries a hashtag, because it is time for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Watch. So this past weekend, I decided to um, go out of town just to have a change of environment, change of pace, change of scene, whatever. Went to this little town uh, in East Texas called Tyler. And uh, our reason for going, I went there with uh, our buddy Armando. I don't know if you guys remember Mondo. I'm sure you do. It's hard to forget Mondo. No, don't, don't. don't, don't name doesn't ring don't a bell. Know. 
don't know his name. Star Wars uh, Wastelands for a long time. He's been on this podcast a few times as well. And uh, he was part of our Jedi pod here in Texas a couple of years ago. So uh, he and I have really been into Jurassic Park movies. We both have A-lists, so we go to the movies together sometimes. And uh, we went out there to go to the Tyler Zoo because their zoo out there is really fantastic. And uh, it just so happened that this weekend that we went, they had a festival out there called Dogtoberfest. 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 It was being hosted by the regional SPCA, and it was intended to be a pet adoption event being hosted in the town square. And surrounding the pet adoption event, they had local vendors who were, you know, selling like leather leashes and pet supplies plus was there and things like that. But then they also had a giant 30 to 40 foot long pop-up tent that was filled with craft breweries from around the area. From, from Fort Worth to Shreveport, different local breweries came in and and submitted their craft beers for sampling and tasting and purchasing. So that's where, like, the drink part was, and then the pad adoption, the vendors. And then, for dinner, they brought in a whole mess of different food trucks. Wow. Now, we we have talked about barbecue food trucks on the show before. Yes, we have. And let me tell you, this event just further confirmed for me the need for food truck barbecue because you had a Mexican restaurant there. They had a snow cone place there. They had an ice cream vendor there. They had your traditional concessions like popcorn, candy, sodas, water, whatever. Um, but one of the other places that they had, and this is where we chose to eat, was a grilled cheese taco truck wow and they only had four items on their menu and we sampled three of those four items because they were just so dang good um they they loaded it with a lot of cheese and for some of them it loaded it with a lot of meat um one the first one we tried was the plain jane that's just your basic regular grilled cheese and then we put some ham in it cost like two dollars extra but you got a lot of ham for that extra two dollars and it was pretty good it tasted like a what a grilled cheese should and then we also ordered and split one sandwich called the machizus <laughs> which was a grilled cheese sandwich where the cheese in the middle was bacon mac and cheese wow that sounds delicious. And that one was really good. The texture was a little off-putting at times because it's like, oh, am I chewing bread? Am I chewing macaroni? Am I chewing cheese? Am I chewing bacon? I don't know. I'm kind of I'm biting into all of it. <laughs> but the flavor was excellent. But I think our favorite was the Lone Star. And this one had white American cheese. And then it was shredded chicken, bacon, pepper sauce, and ranch. Oh. Wow. Now, I, for one, have always been a big proponent of the chicken bacon ranch combo. I do that with croissants and, and certain breakfast foods. And um, I've had it at, uh, at local bakeries before. And I've had it on pizza before. But it's something else when you have it on grilled cheese, let me tell you. It is something different. And it was really, really good. But it tasted almost more like a panini. 
because it was just so mm. loaded with meat. I still got the hints of cheese and stuff, but there was just so much chicken in there that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm really getting my money's worth. Wow. And it was really, really good. But above all, uh, like above everything else, it really reminded me that the potential for a barbecue food truck is absolutely prevalent. Like, prevalent. Absolutely needed. Because I feel like if you had brought a barbecue truck there and had things like turkey legs and brisket sandwiches and pulled pork sandwiches and stuff like that, it would have been making a killing out there in East Texas. I just, I have this this feeling that that would definitely be a thing. So, it was a great experience all around. Sampled a lot of really cool beers. Some that tasted like coffee. Some that tasted like peanut butter. It was crazy. Wow. It was crazy. But the the Say Cheese food truck at Dogtoberfest 2019 was a highlight for Mondo and myself. Because the food there was just so stinking good. That Whew. sounds... Amazing. Yeah. It really does. Making, making me, me hungry. hungry. <laughs> right? Like, this is one of those barbecue elements where, like, it's kind of a shame that we're talking about food so late in the evening because, oh my gosh, I kind of want something to eat now. <sighs> yeah. But it's actually time for me to go to bed. So before we do that, uh, just a quick thank you to you guys for doing, like, a really late night episode with me. It's It's, like... 1 a.m. on the central time, 2 a.m. on the east coast. Like we, we, we really dog-legged it and still got some quality discussion in in you know under 75 minutes, which is cool. So, thank thank you guys for putting up with me tonight. Well, no, and well, and thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to uh, join us yes. for a little while, talk about some really exciting stuff. We got to talk about X Men, talk about Rise of Skywalker. And also putting up with me because <laughs> let the record show that it was I who had the internet problems and the latest like 45 minutes. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. But uh, this was fun. We finally got an episode out. And uh, I'm not sure when this is going to be out because um, schedules and stuff like that. And we've got another episode <laughs> maybe planned for this week because we're recording this really late. But uh, it will be out to you guys eventually. Um, and we hope you enjoy it. And we have other episodes to listen to but for right now i'm just glad to have all three of us on one call on one podcast it's great it's been too long and i look forward i i I don't mean to say this like derogatorily because i'm having fun doing the football broadcast but i'm looking forward to being able to come back and have fun with you guys on a more regular basis as well so it's kind of a catch-22 the only way i can do that is like if we get knocked out of the playoffs or something so I don't necessarily it's, want that to happen. Nice, it's nice to have "quote unquote" work that you enjoy, but it's yes. also, uh, you know, it sucks when it takes you away from your "quote unquote" hobby that you really do enjoy. So it's it, as you said, it's a catch twenty two. It really is, but we'll get it all sorted out. And in the meantime, there's a couple of really awesome people that are holding down the fort. Ben is on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Hart with no E. Jake is on Facebook and Twitter at Jake Damon and then Jake W. Damon on Instagram. Am I correct? And then you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Zach the Voice, Z-A-C-H the Voice, all one word there. And that's where you can find out about the broadcasting and stuff like that. And then my personal stuff, Twitter and Instagram, Zach, Z-A-C underscore D-F-W. Yes, I interchange between Z-A-C and Z-A-C-H. Don't have time to get into that tonight. But that's where you can find me. 
And you can find us on another episode of the IPC podcast right here sometime in the not-too-distant future. Uh, We want to thank you all for joining us for tonight's episode discussing the Rise of Skywalker trailer and X2, but it is time to go to bed. (laughs) Season 2, Episode 9 of the IPC podcast is now officially in the books. For Jake Damon and Ben Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next time. But until that time comes around, we just want to leave you with this closing thought. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. We hope to see you friends next time right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone.
are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. I'm in a glass case of emotion!